Welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. This is episode 21, and my name is Victor Bonacci. I can be reached on Twitter at Agile Coffee. Hey, have you given us any stars on iTunes or Stitcher? You'd better, because if you don't, you could end up with a theme song like this. Agile Coffee, Agile Coffee, Agile Coffee, oh, Agile Coffee. Welcome to a fresh brew of Agile Coffee. I've got uh, got my friends Dale and John here today. Good morning, Dale. Good morning. At Good the morning. Digital Dale. Good morning, John. Good morning. At Water Scrum Bond. How do you guys like the new music? Love it. Thank my you very much. golly, I am so on fire with energy now. <laughs> so we want to thank um, thank you for the feedback that you've given us for the show uh, via Stitcher and iTunes. We love the stars, the five-star reviews. Keep them coming in. But more importantly, the words that you give us, um, letting us know what you think of the content that we're putting out there. We make this free and available to everyone in the galaxy with an iTunes device um, or Stitcher-enabled um, technology instrument. And um, and all we ask in return is just for you to uh, give us some feedback and be part of the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag TellAgileCoffee or AskAgileCoffee and be part of the conversation. Real quick reminder that the AgileGathering.com website is where you go for more information about the upcoming Agile Coach Camp US West, which will be held in Irvine, California in April. It's coming up quick, so get there and find out what uh, what's ahead. It's going to be fun. What lies in store? Uh, Mike Bonifer will be there with the Bonifer Bonfire. My gosh, that guy is, that guy is a hoot. I can't wait. I cannot wait at all. So, gentlemen, we have uh, we have some cards um, remaining from our previous cast, which happened in in real time only mere minutes ago. Um, but we've got some new cards on the table as well. So let's go ahead and read out what we've got. I'll start. I've got a card here called Pair Coaching Exercises. May sound familiar, but I was um, thinking of pair coaching as I was thinking of pair programming and thinking, you know. Pair uh, programmers, rather, have some exercises that they use to get better. And what about coaches? If we were talking about pair coaching, what kind of exercises could we implement to um, get some more learning, how we work well together, and what are our blind spots? Uh, next up, we have training versus discovery. John, that's your card. Yeah, so this is really about whether team members learn more from classroom training or from just kind of the trial and error discovering as they as they get coached or as they work next we have mba diet i had um tried my own uh diet and exercise programs in the past kind of cobbling together one of uh one of my own called it the mba diet back when i was in business school because you know calories in calories out i thought it made sense to me at the time but here i am uh, once again at this stage in my life where i'm trying to uh, evaluate diet frameworks and, and i'm thinking that just that what makes a diet framework so that's the topic there devops docker agile yeah, so this is a really big deal to me right now. I've discovered this thing called Docker that is going to forever change the face of operations and DevOps, the combination of software development and operations. I don't believe that Agile is likely to succeed and take hold 
and transform the way the world of work without DevOps and Docker. Uh, regardless of whether we get to the topic, I'm sure we will, but let the listeners know that there are some fantastic videos out there from just Google mm-hmm. Docker Con conference yeah. uh, back in, I think it was October or so of um, 2014. It was up there. The next card says, Agile Mechanisms Without Values. Teo, is this yours? Yes, that's mine. I uh, wanted to talk about the, this is similar to a topic that I've brought up in the past about uh, the rise of Death March Agile, uh, and uh, this one is about uh, organizations employing some of the mechanics of Agile frameworks like Scrum and Kanban, but using little to no of the underlying value system. Mm-hmm. Great, and the last card that we have on the board is Positivity Resistant Peeps. Yeah, so this relates to a certain Agile coach who has a perfect track record working with teams through her own natural positivity. And my experience, of course, my my mileage may vary, and I'm interested in what people do to work with folks who maybe initially resist positivity. Interesting cards all around. As we pause here to do our dot voting, uh, gentlemen will put two dots apiece out there because we've got some leftover dots. Um, as we pause here, I would like you to contemplate once again some questions that you would like to contribute. And while you're on the topic, go ahead and get onto Twitter and use the hashtag AskAgileCoffee. We'll be sure to put one of your questions up on the air ASAP. All right. First up today, we have training versus discovery. John, that's yours. Yeah, so... I think right now there's there's a lot of approaches to helping teams become hyper-performing teams, uh, especially teams that are struggling or are troubled teams. There's all kinds of causes behind that. Some of them happen, you know, related to interpersonal conflict. Some of them are related to just um, teams not being experienced or skilled with self-organization and uh, accountability others just you know needing um, some objective input or having an authority to turn to for advice so with these needs that teams come with there's in my mind two schools of approaches one is train them educate them teach them how it is that hyper-performing teams behave, what give them what they need to know in order to do that. And then the other is allow them through trial and error to learn from their mistakes what it is that they should do that works for them. And I would call the former training the latter discovery or coach, mm-hmm. coach-based experience. And I'm curious what people feel is effective in which kind of scenarios. And it could be that we're all biased. Um, Mm -hmm. I know I have my own preferences. Well, I have my my preferences in terms of what I think works, and then I have whatever it is that I do. I don't know if those are your Correct. No, you're right, Um, because we all have our own learning learning styles, the ways that we learn, Um, and we may not be – fully conscious of them. So you may have preferences, which are in the front of your mind, but then these other styles that somehow work well for you and you may not know it, mm-hmm. right? Habits, um, habits that you fall yeah. into that 
may work counter to to how you learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to uh, one initial thought I had was um, you're talking about training people in in like scrum practices or right. agile practices, yeah. and I was thinking back to some trainings I've been a part of that were more. Um, geared toward developers. So, for example, there's a, a new language um, that's being taught or a language that's new to the team that's being taught. So we bring in a, a trainer who, mm-hmm. who leads them through training and then has them do examples. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, in a sense, kind of doing the discovery as well as, as receiving the training, wouldn't mm-hmm. you say? Yeah, they're doing. And then yeah. they're maybe talking and doing some more. Right. They may not yeah. be breaking out and going like hackathon style where they're failing mm-hmm. and, and finding new new areas but rather they're just doing the exercise in the class Mm. so they might not be as polarized as i've made them on this card it could be that there's many mixes and hybrids in between but when you're talking about training for scrum or agile practices maybe they are more polarizing or in different buckets discrete kind of types of training yeah it seems that way i mean as you might be aware i've i've tried taking training and sort of slicing it into very thin, you know, one-hour lunch and learns, which it comes at a cost, and I would say the cost is momentum. In other words, folks, when they're learning something, they have to recontext if they're only going to be doing an hour every two weeks, for Mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're in, like, a a two-day thing, uh, sure, you might take you know bio breaks, lunch breaks, etc. But there's a certain context, contextual momentum that's preserved by having that be just solid. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's and that may not be so much a difference between experiential uh, learning uh, as it is a difference between uh, this small segmented learning and what they call immersion learning, mm, yeah. where you're exposed to uh, a, a topic over a, uh, in a concentrated way over, over a confined period of time. And while to a lot of people that seems somewhat punishing, <clears throat> it is pr- uh, that's kind of been proven to be the more effective way of learning. Mm-hmm. If you want to learn something like uh, a number of years ago when I uh, learned uh, uh, three, three-dimensional animation software, mm-hmm. uh, they sat you down for an entire week wow. in that class. <clears throat> it was like eight hours a day, mm-hmm. or well, uh, probably six or seven. But you you were just immersed in this thing for for f- five days, and, and when you came out of it, you understood everything. And, mm-hmm. and they based that training on on something that they actually experimented, but with back in World War II, when they were training uh, U.S. intelligence soldiers in the in the intelligence division. Uh, anyone who had to interpret Japanese uh, 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 messages, that they sent them to a special camp mm-hmm. where the first day when they entered that camp, from the day they entered, all the signs were in Japanese. Mm-hmm. Everybody spoke Japanese. Mm-hmm. They were exposed to nothing but that. Uh, and they, by necessity, had to learn it quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that immersion learning is more effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, There is a counterexample, though. I I completely agree with the point of uh, immersive environments for learning. And that is, uh, I guess I would say, the Pomodoro technique, which is you have these breaks to integrate what you've learned. And, like, lately there's a number of exams that I've been sort of cramming for, I guess you could say. And what I discovered is that by by having – multiple things that I'm trying to learn and switching between them, 
that somehow like my my total retention for each one of them is higher. In other words, I'm studying Spanish right now at home, and then between that, I'm also studying Agile, and I'm also studying you know some of this uh, psychology and coaching stuff. So I'm literally setting down one book after about three or four hours to switch into another one that is ideally on a completely unrelated topic. And I don't know why. It's something I kind of, I'm borrowing from Pomodoro to, to, to say, okay, I'm going to switch gears and, and I'm going to use it as a way of pacing, um, but also a way of keeping my, my focus in each one of those areas. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I know what you're experiencing there too. I've, I've, I've experienced that myself and, and some of these techniques like, like Kanban and the lean approach and that says focus on one thing at a time, mm-hmm. do it, but, and, I just and, and my it's, whip. it's, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you don't want to increase, yeah, you, you want to <laughs> limit your whip, uh, and that. But I, yeah, I, I do agree with you. When you're reading things like books and that, as much as I would like to concentrate on one single book, sometimes I get bored with listening to <laughs> one thing or one topic. Mm-hmm. For a protracted period of time, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I kind of like to like maybe read a little of two of these books at the same mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. rather than just one continuously. I'm thinking that immersive learning probably has its place in the in the beginning or at some stage in the training, mm-hmm. and then you need to break out of that, yes. um, go into more of a sustained so effort with pomodoros or however you mm-hmm. want to cycle yeah. through it. When just you're, like you're training your body, um, you can't uh, like the idea of CrossFit or cross training. You don't want to be developing the same muscle or muscle area at the exclusion of others right. and to build the system up. So it's probably the same as training your mind. <laughs> any knowledge right, area, right, in your mind. The ground floor of something and mm-hmm. you're starting off with very little knowledge, then mm-hmm. the immersion learning is, mm-hmm. is probably an effective way to, to get you up to speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, then after right. that, uh, then you only need it in small doses. Yeah, like a boot camp or something yeah. or a mm-hmm. coach camp. There you go. There you go. Ba-boom. Makes sense. And and so then, you know, this discovery, maybe you could call it guided discovery or coach mm-hmm. discovery, is important longer term. The, and, and maybe the, the, the touch points that you have with that coach are more broadly interspersed or thinly interspersed, I guess you could say. So what are your... Um Secrets to sustaining your learning and discovery. We would like, we would like to know uh, by using the hashtag Tell Agile Coffee. I, I will yeah, say this: even outside of the trainer, the coach, I think the last piece actually is the community. So, as I look back over the years and my own growth within my, you know, the the knowledge area of Agile, it's been getting you know one or two meetings with SoCal Agile or Agile San Diego or what have you, where just a little bit of stimulus from peers or from thought leaders, you know, that come and present has given me that that extra push, you know, on a that's a fairly infrequent basis, you know, once or twice a month. Use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee and let us know what learning styles work well for you. Moving on, we've got a card that says positivity resistant peeps. John. Yeah, so this is referencing um, an experience that a particular Agile coach had where basically just like laughter is infectious, so is positivity. And by having, you know, as they say, believe in your team, by believing in your team, even when your team doesn't believe in themselves, 
they start to live up to your beliefs and expectations yeah. because they want to. It feels good when people believe in you and you know, like attracts like essentially. You by being positive pull out the positive beliefs and emotions that people on your team have. Having said all of that, and I and I do have experience with that and it's it's been kind of a magical thing in my career, but it also hasn't been consistent. I can't say that I'm batting a thousand and that every team I meet just instantly, you know, my positivity rubs off on them. It's it's a very mixed bag for me. And I'm interested in people's experiences about, you know, if, if there's a magical way to lock it in, my golly, I want to do that because I want to help every team that I ever meet. And every team is unique. I think that maybe there's a puzzle that needs to be solved. And maybe that's me over cerebralizing this. Or maybe there's just some personal discipline that I can bring to bear on myself that will make me more effective in conveying that positivity to my teams. The the one, you know, I've, if, if I've only got one hammer in my toolbox, it would be servant leadership. By being a humble, dedicated, sincere servant to my team, my experience has been that they are generally responsive to that and that they want to do something with whatever energy or assistance or environment I'm creating for them. However, um, I, I don't know if that one hammer is enough. If there are other tools and approaches that I can take to more consistently energize a team with positive energy, positive thoughts and beliefs, I'm, I, I want to acquire those. I think we've talked um, in previous podcasts about the importance of, of joy in the workplace and creating mm-hmm. that culture. Um, in fact, we referenced uh, Sheridan's book, Joy, right. Inc. Richard Sheridan. Um, Richard Sheridan. And, um, and I think it's, it's a great topic to return to. I'm wondering from the nature of your card, uh, positively resistant peeps. peeps, like are there any, are there any act, activities or actions that you could take against mm-hmm. uh, people uh, resistant to the change and, and help bring them around and, and show them benefits, whether it's uh, conscious or not, whether it's a solo endeavor of yours or a team effort to mm-hmm. to, to steer the ship of, of Boy, that's of a these really people. great question. Um, off the top of my head, I can't say that I know of one, but I my, my gut tells me that the best thing that could be done is team some kind of team building where I'm showing vulnerability – and the rest of the team is too. And what comes to mind is something I learned from Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of Teams, where basically each team member takes the time to build their story, kind of the story of their life and who they are. And, and then, you know, they, they present that to each other. And that maybe the negativity starts to wane as you start to become more interested in other people than you are in yourself. And the one experience that comes to mind right now as I think of my attempts to do this in the past is I was working with a team where the business analysts were fighting amongst each other very very harshly, I would say. Um, they called it catting. Um, 
I guess because they claw at each other for no for no apparent obvious reason. Mm-hmm. And the directors and vice presidents that represented each one of the functional silos um, had come together with this idea of like them signing a constitution that you know they won't be intentionally inflicting you know um, hate onto each other or something like that. I mean, I, I, it was years ago. I can't Stop remember. Stop right there. Let's impose like Game of Thrones on the whole organization. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let the last standing person win. Um, but my 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 attempt, my solution was to have a very short workshop, like to the tune of an hour or so, that started off with a survey outside the team what other teams thought was the key to success as, as a team effort. And then we announced those results. And then we said, okay, everybody, think of the, f- the funniest experience you've had in your life, professionally that's, or, or non-professionally, but that's office appropriate. Mm-hmm. And, and I started off with me um, telling an experience. Um, I actually went on stage in front of all of my coworkers for a hypnotist show, and I danced like Madonna and Elvis Presley and Michael Jackson. And, uh, was searching for my little pig named Miss Piggy, mm-hmm. um, and you know it, it gets a laugh, but it's a true story, and it and it was a vulnerable moment because I didn't live that down easily, as you can mm-hmm. imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but then other people, other BAs, started ta- talking about their their lives and these stories that they had, and it was amazing. Like mm-hmm. the mood changed. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that will always work. And to answer your question, that's, that's probably what I would instinctively do. But I would, I would feel more confident if I knew of other ways, other techniques, or how to recover, like if that goes south. Right. Again, um, reaching out to our audience what techniques are you familiar with or maybe you have heard about, um, please share them with us. If not on Twitter, then please go to the forums at agilecoffee.com slash forums. All right. The next card up says, Dale, this is yours. It says, Agile Mechanisms Without Values. Yes. This is kind of a topic that we've ta- touched on before, but what I'm, what I'm seeing now in a couple of organizations in addition to the, to the, uh, to this rise of, of death march agile, where it's like you're, you may be using, um, scrum or Kanban mechanics, but somebody imposed a big hairy deadline with a, with a big, uh, set of requirements and that have to be achieved by the team uh, by a given deadline. Uh, what I'm seeing is that there are organizations that are using some of the mechanics of Scrum and Kanban. They're going through the motions. They're they're having the me- they're conducting most or or at least some of the meetings. Uh, they're you know they're getting together. They're talking every day in in a, in a daily stand up. Uh, if they're in Scrum, they're they're having the necessary, the requisite planning meetings um, and maybe a review meeting. Uh, the the retrospectives are usually the first ones to go mm-hmm. or, or get slipped on. But they're they're using some of the mechanics, but they're lacking some of the underlying uh, values. In some cases, some very important ones. Uh, uh, I've worked for organizations where they're doing Scrum, but 
a uh, this is where the scrum butt thing comes mm-hmm. in. Uh, they're doing scrum, but it, the team isn't really deciding what to take from the backlog. Uh, a manager or a or a tech lead is deciding how much the team will take out of the backlog for the sprint, uh, and then maybe that technical lead is doing the task breakdowns and the estimations uh, instead of the team. So, uh, if have you guys uh, seen this kind of a thing? Oh, yeah. It's prevalent. And I think, you know, what I'm I'm dying to ask you is if you were to take that manager aside and ask them, do you do you believe in the agile values? What do you think that manager would say to you? It would depend on the organization. And some of them, some organizations that I've worked in, I'm pretty certain the management would say they don't care. Uh, there's like I just want the mechanics. I want this. Uh, I want this end result, and they they don't really care about the underlying values. Mm-hmm. In, in other in other cases, I, I think that they they would say that they they care about them. Uh, they maybe just either have forgotten them as simple as they are, mm-hmm. or they weren't educated on on them fully to begin with, and didn't really mm-hmm. internalize or understand the underlying value system mm-hmm. as well as they did the mechanics. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just as as we were as you were leading into this topic, I was thinking about a very strange experience um, that I had related to it about many years ago, let's just say, many years ago, at a place that was that thought that they were practicing Agile. And what it was is um, there was a certain manager whose desk I went to to drop off you know, some paperwork, and I noticed a little sign that this person had it said, seek first to understand, or seek to understand first. I think that's a, a Sean Covey quote, or, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, I think, part of an agile value um, that you could say, you know, communicating, it, it works that way. You, you need to understand the opposite party first before you seek to have them understand you. Yeah. But in any case, um, it was my opinion that this person was never seeking to understand, hmm. let alone seek to understand others first. And it dawned on me that that person was unaware of their behaviors being incongruent with their values. That person had handwritten this sign to themselves and placed it like just above where their computer monitor might be, you know, like on a window. I thought, gosh, okay, so if this person is trying, trying to do this but failing, um, they're probably not aware that they're failing. They're probably not aware how incongruent it is. They probably could really use a coach to show them how maybe these aren't matching up. But I think um, that's probably true with most of us. You know, I often, yeah, I often offline, off mic, criticize folks who say that Scrum is immutable, uh, even though Scrum is actually evolving. Mm-hmm. If we were not to say that Scrum is immutable or the practices of Scrum are immutable, what we would have is people saying, well, of course, I can take out any part I want to and swap in any other practice I want to, and it's still Scrum, and I still get all the benefits. But you can't, as you know. And, you know, in this curriculum where I train people on Scrum, the very first thing that we teach, of course, is the Scrum values. And of course, there's Agile values, and there's even Lean values. And one of the questions uh, that I pose is, 
why do you think we're, te- we're, we're teaching the values first? Agile or scrum or whatever. It's because everything's built on that. And you, you, know, you want them to remember that because ultimately when you ask somebody, why are you doing this or that practice, if all they can tell you is because that's scrum or that's agile, that's not good enough. They don't know the whys. They don't know the values. They don't know where the value's coming from. Right, and uh, and we've talked about this before uh, on on this podcast. But I just myself completed uh, uh, Jeff Sutherland's new book, Scrum: the, the Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time. And to anybody who's listening, that goes that book is almost entirely uh, uh, about the underlying values or or the or the reasons why behind why things. Are the way they are in Scrum, so that's a uh, and that that's kind of uh, a great resource for anybody who wants to really fully understand those those kinds of values. Absolutely. Another book that you mentioned way back in episode sixteen, I just looked it up, is um, Edward Jordan. He had the book Death March. Oh, Death March. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now John wasn't here for that podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should go back and listen okay. to episode sixteen back in Will November. Do. But um, uh, Alberto Hernandez was here. Uh, it was the three of us talking about that. And something you're talking about now, um, John, two things made me think of uh, earlier in the podcast. We had talked about learning styles, training versus mm-hmm. discovery. Um, and then prior to that, uh, you had mentioned something from the last podcast that we just uh, we just got done recording. Um, slips my mind now what the topic was. But, I mean, I'm finding these podcasts as a source of, of kind of validation and approximation mm-hmm. of, of where – that one truth lies. Um, I think that in your case, John, when you walked into the room and his office and he said, you know, seek to discover first, it's one of those spots that was either pointed out to him, he needs to pay attention to that, or Could maybe he did realize and it's something he's working on, but he's just not very good at it. True. And um, uh, it was seek to understand first, seek to yeah. understand the other party, presumably. Yeah. And not necessarily a he. But yeah, um, yeah it, was, uh, it, it, it was almost shocking to me yeah. because I had built up this this image of that person being wrong, mm. that they didn't care, they didn't believe in the values, and mm. you know, that they were somehow actually trying to tear down um, everything that Scrum and Agile stood for, when in fact, I, I no longer now believe that that's the case. When they've got something like that prominently placed, it's, it's probably important. They're them. making an effort, but they just need that other... Um that coaching uh, or closed feedback loop yeah. or something, right? And sure. and maybe that's even as as agile coaches or or scrum masters or whatever, getting feedback from our teams. I'm always hearing, us. not always, but you know, it's common to hear from whether they're teammates or someone within the department or organization say, "Well, agile says we need to do this," and you're like, "No, it doesn't." <laughs> you know, no. It doesn't. Yeah. But let's have that conversation. Urban legends you know, that's, in agile. That's yeah. what it's all about: is the conversation. Join the conversation with us. Reach out on Twitter and use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. Let us know what you think. Uh, last topic today, and this is one that I'm eager to get to, is called DevOps, Docker, Agile. John. Yeah, so this honestly is, well, I'm going to confess, I, I just very recently learned about Docker. And in a nutshell, from a very simple layman's mind who which is what I am. Docker is an open source tool that allows you to essentially replicate development, testing, or production environments in any cloud 
environment um, with any any cloud vendor that you want to. And the reason why this is so significant to me is that there's been an unspoken friction and disconnect between software development organizations and IT operations organizations everywhere in the world. And there's been a movement. It's not been at front of mind for for lots of folks, including myself, until very recently, where these two these two entities need to align and come very close together, if not merge, and that is the concept of DevOps. Mm-hmm. Docker empowers DevOps to be. And what I mean by that is when you have a development team that has a development cycle that requires and a development environment be spun up in a matter of, say, minutes or hours rather than weeks or months, this technology that, that Docker you know, creates that possibility is absolutely pivotal. And when that is not present, the contention that can potentially form between dev teams and operations teams can essentially destroy the value that that agile can create you know the continuous integration and deployment the ability to implement automated testing regression suites etc is in jeopardy if you don't have that kind of tight collaboration between ops and dev or whoever it is that provisions environments and so I'm I'm now very interested in Docker, learning about the community and how it's being adopted. I very recently spoke with Paul Peisner from Collabnet, who is, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, my my source of technical information. Um, I think the world of this guy, and of course he's also um, in very close communication with Gene Kim and Jez Humble, who are additional um thought or opinion leaders in this field of continuous development, continuous, I'm sorry, continuous deployment and continuous integration. In any case, the good news is that Docker is spreading throughout the, the country, United States, starting with the Bay Area, where probably 90% of all IT companies are employing some form of Docker and the other metropolitan areas outside of the Bay Area are now just beginning to get a taste of it. And so in Orange County, I've found a meetup group for this. Um, about 150 folks have gathered together. I'm going to go to their first meeting soon. I was going to ask if you'd gone there yet. I don't think you had. No. Um, grab me and I'll go with you and we'll report back on that. But beyond Docker, I mean, it's mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about microservices sure. are a big thing. Yep. Um, breaking down your monolithic um, kind of APIs into much smaller more digestible services, things that can be tested quicker and, and put out quicker um, when you're talking about continuous uh, development, continuous deployment, deployment rather. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's that's the name of the game, being able yes. to get something out the door quickly uh, and, and revised and iterated on very quickly. Yeah, and it's changing the game. It, it's true, and it's, it's kind of ironic. You know, when I was first taught about Scrum, um, Brent Barton, uh, who is the trainer, was – 
really emphasizing that automated testing is absolutely essential, that you shouldn't consider yourself a truly scrum shop if you don't have the tools and you know, the practices of like running your tests like several times a day. You know, he was just totally, you know, sold out to that concept, which I admired, but I don't think truly registered with me. And also I didn't see many teams that had actually realized that kind of a scenario. Automated testing, sure, it's you know, I've 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 worked with many teams that have it. Many teams don't. And so I, I think that like you say, you know, the technical ability to, to continuously deploy is equally as important. Like, yeah. there are many values, as we've mentioned, and many practices that should be in place, but certainly this too. I mean, they – and I'm, I'm apologizing in advance to the audience because there's a slide share that I'd like to uh, – well, just go to the web uh, the website. The show notes here, agilecoffee.com slash episode 21, and you'll have, have a link to the um, – the slide share that I want to refer to, but but we recently, um, or at least I recently, went through a, a slide deck and a video, um, a keynote I think it was from Docker um, DockerCon 2014, and um, and they talk about these things and and what they haven't talked about explicitly in that one uh, keynote, but they are dancing around it is the whole concept of lean startup and the Eric mm-hmm. Reese idea of getting out to the market to the customers and yeah. asking them what they want and then giving them something and having it using their feedback to iterate on it quickly and and yeah right. that's exactly what you're saying is now that we can accomplish that with our devops team mm-hmm. um watch out right yeah yeah because that's where the rubber hits the road is when it's consumable to the end user mm-hmm. and you know honestly you guys know i've got a preoccupation with Agile beyond IT. Yeah. I believe that this is the the next step outside of the development organization is you know into the operations and then from operations probably into customer service or sales or both. And it, it will become more and more apparent, apparent. I think you had talked to Larry uh, Lawhead in a previous. Um, mm-hmm. A previous cast about uh, why is IT ops the next big thing? He had, uh-huh. you know, said that you had talked about it. So, so we talked about Jez Humboldt and David Fairley's book, the Continuous Delivery uh, book, and mm-hmm. and this is just a topic that I think we could, as a team, as a group of us, just go on and on about. And I, mm-hmm. I agree with you. Once Dev Ops gets it, once they get going, it is that mm-hmm. amoeba mm-hmm. going over the over the hump. The, yeah. over the hump. Um, it's like that tipping point, I think, of an organization. And it's almost ironic, really, because when we recorded that, that episode, I was oblivious to what Docker was. Isn't that strange, and how it plays. Yeah. yeah, but it is, it is so pivotal to, mm-hmm. to all of this. So, yeah, ironic. Technology, you know, being such an important part of the Agile framework. But it is. Well, gentlemen, I'd say that brings us to the end of another fine brew of Agile Coffee. Um, thanks for making the coffee this morning too, John. You bet. You got it. So um, once again, uh, dear listeners, if you're getting out of this show what we are, even a portion of the value that we're getting out of uh, out of it ourselves, um, please, please, I implore you, go to iTunes or Stitcher and give us a review. Let us know how we can improve the show or what your thoughts are on the format and the content. And the new intro song. And the new intro song. (laughs) Jaunty, I say. (laughs) Any final words, guys? 
just looking forward to the next out of coffee, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, wishing everybody a happy and productive New Year. That's right. And uh, with that being said, remember to reach out to us here, there, and everywhere via any form of media that was mentioned earlier today. Um, we will see you next time. Coffee.